You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Good to see you. As you're all aware, we were hoping to meet face-to-face this morning, and after a couple of false starts, we're back on Zoom. Um, It's going to be the first time in several months that we're able to catch up with each other and uh, and celebrate the Lord together, to worship together. We were intending to have communion together this morning at the end of the service as well. Connor was going to lead us in, in worship to lift up our voices. And uh, with good old Melbourne weather, it's all fallen through. <laughs> so back to Zoom. Hopefully it won't be for very long, but Melbourne has done what it does best and changes the weather in a heartbeat. Uh, It's disappointing, but we Christians, of all people, should be able to adapt. We should be flexible and able to bend where necessary without breaking. For we have our feet firmly planted on an immovable rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. After these several months of separation, I suspect none of us would take for granted the preciousness of gathering together in Jesus' name. It's a privilege that many Christians around the world don't have and uh, and many would willingly give up their lives to see churches uh, be allowed to meet publicly in many nations around the world and yet we've had that in the whole history of Australia. Um, These several months of separation have been difficult of course it's in many ways not just in respect to churches not being able to meet together but in many other ways as well, in our isolation and uh, stress and doubt and confusion and many, many other things. But we can be thankful that that people have been able to grow stronger and deeper in their faith through the use of modern technology. One thing that I would hope that you've experienced during these last several months is a growing hunger to be fed the Bible in the way the Bible seems to intend it, and that's in fellowship with others. Now, it looks like we're going to have to wait at least a couple more weeks before we can do that. But in the meantime, we look again to be fed this morning with God's precious word. You recall when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he responded, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, bread is maybe the simplest of foods. All you need to make bread is flour and water and a bit of heat. It doesn't get much simpler than that. You don't even need yeast, actually, to make bread. Without yeast, your bread won't rise, of course. You'll end up with flat bread like the communion wafers that we were going to be having today. It'll still be bread. Or you can mix up your flour and water and leave the dough on your windowsill for a while. Did you realise there are enough wild yeasts in the air that in time it will begin to rise of its own accord. must have seemed like a miracle to the ancients who didn't know about the remarkable properties and abilities of yeast. Now, bread might be simple and basic, but that doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, it's one of the most important foods known to mankind. Bread is one of the cheapest foods to produce, but at the same time, it's one of the most nutritious and the most filling. And who doesn't love the smell of a loaf of bread cooking in the oven? It's glorious. How could you not love that smell? 
Now, you might not have much respect for the humble loaf, but it sustained thousands of generations of people. It really does deserve to be better appreciated. And let me suggest if you were starving hungry, even a dry, stale crust would seem like a banquet. But as we all know, bread, even a lot of bread, even the freshest bread, even artisan bread doesn't sustain for very long. You'll be hungry again tomorrow morning. Oh, if only there were bread to eat, it would take away our hunger forever. Now, text today begins at John 6, verse 27, where Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now we know that the Jews and the Pharisees especially found the claims of Jesus offensive and blasphemous. We've seen it time and time again as we go through John's Gospel. In chapter 5, Jesus makes claims about himself that so enraged the Jews that they set about plotting ways to kill him. For he, a mere man, claimed to be equal with God. But Jesus never claims to be just a man. In spite of what the Jews believed and in spite of what many today would prefer to believe, his claim is always that he is God. There's no getting away from it. He makes the claim over and over again in the Gospels. Is he delusional? Is he insane? And he continues to make more claims here in our text that would be the height of arrogance if they were not true. But of course, he backs up his claims multiple times by the miraculous signs that he does. And in fact, the signs are the evidence that God the Father approves of him. Do not work, on the, work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? How thick are these people? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I wonder how many miracles 
are enough to convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced. Remember, many of those who Jesus fed miraculously less than 24 hours ago were in this crowd today. Did any of them pipe up in defence of Jesus saying, he already performed a sign, a miracle just yesterday when he fed us, and he healed hundreds, maybe thousands of sick people. He's proved himself by his miracles already. Listen carefully for the people rushing to Jesus' defence. What do you hear? Crickets. Nothing. Silence. Worse, it may be the very same people who Jesus fed yesterday that are demanding a sign from him today. If so, that's disturbing. How clear does Jesus need to be? How many signs does he need to perform? The Apostle Paul was right when he said in 1 Corinthians 1.20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? How many debaters do we have in this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Even the Apostle Paul was adamant that signs are not enough to stir genuine saving faith. If you refuse to accept the message of Christ crucified, if it's not sufficient for you, or if it's not clever enough for you, then miracles aren't going to convince you either. We've seen that time and time again in this gospel. And that's why we're so insistent on preaching the word of God here at City Edge Church. We ask for miracles, but we need God's word. Without it, we die. Now, the Jews weren't particularly interested in what Jesus had to say, no matter how good he may have preached. And the miracle of yesterday doesn't seem to have impressed them very much either. Because at this time of year, they had something else in mind. They had history in mind, and especially the history of their travels through the wilderness during the time of the Exodus. You might remember a snippet from earlier in John chapter 6, in verse 4, where John just inserted this little brief line, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. It was just one brief line in a larger passage, almost an afterthought. It looks like a throwaway line. But I think I mentioned to you at the time, that's actually an important comment in the context of John chapter 6. For this whole chapter, the feeding of the multitude, the walking on the water, the whole discussion about true bread from heaven is set in the context of the Passover. And at Passover time, which is the highlight of the Jewish calendar, the Jews cast their thoughts back to the Exodus, back to the story of how that great prophet Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the waters of the Red Sea, led them across the harsh wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, and on into the promised land. And on the way, 
God met with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments that were so precious to the Jews and are still precious to them to this very day, thousands of years later. When their water ran out, ran out Moses struck the rock, which promptly gushed forth fresh water for millions of travellers and all their livestock. And when their food ran out, manna rained down from heaven for them to eat. They were quick to remind Jesus of this. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he, that is Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. It would be fair to say that Moses was their hero. Anyone claiming to have a special connection to God had to measure up to Moses. He was the prophet par excellence. Which is why I think they weren't all that impressed with the miracle of the feeding of the multitude yesterday. When Moses fed the people in the wilderness, he fed them, millions of them, every day for 40 years. Every morning, Sunday through Thursday, they woke up to them in the morning to the ground covered with manna like a frost. There was enough manna to feed every person for the day. And everyone collected what they needed for the day. Any extra they collected was wasted. It went rotten overnight. On Friday, though, they collected a double amount of manna that would get them through Friday and also the Saturday Sabbath. So they didn't need to collect any manna on the Sabbath. So what is manna? Exactly. The word manna actually means, what is it? No one knew just what it was. It was a fine flake-like thing, the Bible tells us, finer than frost. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The passage in Exodus goes on to tell us, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And this happened every day for 40 years until they crossed over into the promised land. Now that's a miracle of supply, Jesus. Your puny effort yesterday just doesn't measure up to that. See if you can top Moses, then we might believe you. All of this is what the Jews had in mind when they challenged Jesus to perform another sign to convince them. All this, and of course, their stubborn refusal to accept Jesus' claims about himself. Now, to add to the intrigue, back in Deuteronomy, Moses had promised a prophet just like himself someday in the future. Before the Jews left the wilderness to enter into the promised land, Moses promised them, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. As the Lord told Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Remember, it was only yesterday that they were convinced that Jesus was this promised prophet. After he fed the multitude, they all declared, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. A belief had sprung up 
the tradition of the rabbis around this promise of a future prophet like Moses. When the Messiah came, so said the tradition, he would again give them manna. Giving the manna was considered by the Jews to be the supreme work of Moses and the Messiah was expected to equal and surpass Moses' work. Writings from the time told them, as was the first Redeemer, that is Moses, so was the final Redeemer. As the first Redeemer caused manna to fall from heaven, even so shall the second Redeemer cause manna to fall. You shall not find the manna in this age, but you shall find it in the age to come. So there was a strong expectation, especially at Passover time, that when the Messiah came, he would provide, provide manna for every Jew forever. And that's how they would recognise that he was the Messiah. But Jesus' effort to them yesterday seemed pretty feeble. He'd have to do a lot more than that to impress them and convince them. He'd have to make manna rain down from heaven again, just like Moses did. Except, of course, it wasn't actually Moses who did it. Jesus said to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus pulls them up on two things here. Firstly, it wasn't Moses who gave them the bread from heaven. It was God. Moses was merely the one whom God used to communicate the news. He didn't do the miracle himself. And secondly, the manna wasn't really the true bread from heaven. It was only a symbol of a greater bread to come. A bread that would satisfy not only physical hunger, but would give life. Neither the manna nor the bread that Jesus produced yesterday could do any more than sustain them physically for another day. Tomorrow, no matter how hungry they, they were today, no matter how much they ate today, tomorrow they would be hungry again. But the true bread, the bread that the Father was providing right there in front of them would do more than just satisfy their hunger. It would give life to the world and not just to the Jews. Now, this would have been shocking to the Jews if they realised what Jesus was implying by it. But the true bread that is Jesus Christ would give life to every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. They will be appalled in a little while in this chapter of John's Gospel when Jesus expands on what it really means that he is the true bread who gives life to the world. And we'll get to that in the future message. But for now, they don't understand what he's saying. They never do, do they? They seem to be almost stubborn in their refusal to understand what Jesus says. But before we point the finger at them, we can be like that too. We often like to spend more time arguing and debating over the intricacies of what the Bible means rather than just listening to it and believing it and acting on it. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This bread is not a what. It is a who. And who is it that comes down from heaven? None other than Jesus. He told Nicodemus just that. and Nicodemus couldn't get his head around it either. In John 3.12, Jesus said, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus makes the claim over and over again in John's Gospel that he has come down from heaven, come from God. I haven't done an accurate tally, but there must be at least eight or ten times in John's Gospel that he makes that claim. Here's just a few of them. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8.42 Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. John 16.28 I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And John 17.8 For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. It's delusional to read the Gospels and imagine that Jesus was just a mere man. That's a mistake the Jews made over and over again. A mere man making the claims that Jesus made would be, to quote C.S. Lewis, either a lunatic or a liar. No, Jesus made no secret of the fact that he is more than a mere man, much more than a mere man. He is the prophet to come, that Moses had promised. But he's much more even than that. He is God himself in the flesh. And because he is God himself, he's able to give the bread that nourishes much deeper than just the body. He's able to give the bread that nourishes the soul and nourishes it to eternal life. The Jews may just be getting a glimmer of something special here. For in verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They don't really know what it is they're asking for. But they know that whatever Jesus is offering is better than what they have now. And they want it. The woman back at the well in John chapter 4 didn't know either. Remember, Jesus told her that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She knew she needed something more than just physical water. She couldn't understand what it was that Jesus was talking about, but she knew she wanted it. 
she knew she needed it. And that's a start. To recognise that something is missing, that there's something more, something deeper, something more satisfying to be had. That's a good place to start. But it's not a good place to finish. Sir, give us this bread always. Sir, give me this water. Call out to him. He won't turn a deaf ear to your plea. For he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not stingy. It's his delight to provide for his children and to provide far more and far above all we could ask or imagine. Sadly, our small minds, like the Jews of Jesus' day, are so fixated on the stuff of earth that we can't imagine the beauty, the preciousness, the glories of what he's really offering. We hear Jesus speak and our first thoughts go to the physical, the earthly. We hear him speak of abundant life and think he means to give us health and wealth and toys to play with. We read, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And we think he, went, he intends to make us rich. We hear he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And we think we should never get sick again. How pathetic and small-minded we can be. What God offers us is so far beyond earthly prosperity and health. If we could truly see what he's offering, what this true bread really is, we would reject instantly every offer of earthly wealth. Even if we were offered a hundred billion dollars, we would laugh at it and say, what would I want a chicken feed amount like that for? I've already got far more than you could ever imagine. No, Jesus Christ offers us riches that far surpass anything the world could ever offer us. Let's wrap this up. Jesus Christ claims to be the true bread from heaven who can nourish and sustain a soul for eternity. That sounds like a good offer to me. But it came at a high price. Bread may be as basic and simple a food as there is, but the processing process of producing that loaf of bread is torturous. The grain of wheat must first be buried in the ground. It endures scorching heat and flooding rains as it slowly grows. Then just when it's matured and reached its full glory, it gets cut down. And then it's taken and pounded between stones and subjected to the burning, fiery furnace to produce bread for the hungry. When Jesus calls himself the true bread, 
he's telling us much more than just his ability to provide nourishment, as important as that may be. He's also telling us something of the cost to him to provide us with that nourishment. As Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we're healed from the power of sin and death. And this one who was crushed to produce bread for us will sustain us in his presence for eternity. It is far more precious, far more valuable than having our bellies filled for yet another day, than having toys fill our garage. And he offers it to each one of us every day. When Jesus fed the multitude, you'll remember there was enough bread left over to fill the bellies of that enormous crowd and 12 basketfuls of leftovers. God provided not just enough to get by, but he provided an abundance. In fact, he provided a superabundance. For that's the nature of God. So the true bread of God, Jesus Christ, has grace enough, not just to barely scrape by, and not just for a few. He has grace enough to give life to the whole world. He has a superabundance of grace. No one needs to miss out. There's enough for everyone. If only they would turn to him for the food that nourishes and sustains to eternal life. We'll close with this. The Apostle Paul knew what this true bread was. And he said in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, I count them as dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're nourished and sustained by the true bread that you sent, Jesus Christ. 
We know, Lord, that we can't live by bread alone. And so often we get distracted by the bread of this earth, by the toys, the trinkets, the money, the promises of health and instant healings and all the other things, Lord, that just don't sustain. And Lord, for those times we have done that, for those times we have been drawn away and put our trust in the things of the earth, Lord, we repent and we come to you to receive your grace and mercy afresh. And we cry out to you, Lord, would you sustain us with that true bread from heaven, Jesus Christ? Would you nourish our souls? Would you nourish us for eternity? And Jesus, we pray that that true bread from heaven that is given for the whole world, Lord, would be recognised, received and eaten by the whole world. Lord, would you stir appetites too deep for people to satisfy with earthly things so that they cry out for the bread that you should provide, for the water that wells up inside to eternal life. We pray for our friends, we pray for our family, we pray for our workmates, we pray for strangers, Lord. Would you give them a hunger for the bread? Would you cause them to cry out, Lord, give us this bread always? And would you feed them, Lord? Feed them the true bread. And Lord, this week, we pray that you'll continue to nourish us with your word, Lord, as we study your word, as we reflect on your word, as we hear your word from whatever source, as we pray, as we worship, would you fill our souls full to overflowing with the nourishment that only you can provide, Jesus. And we pray this in your perfect, your precious your nourishing name. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.